Oh, well, he'll grow up sometime. But at 15, 15, 15... Hello and welcome back to 15. It's the start of season three. I'm Luke and joining me as always is Dan Wade. So you get the surname treatment and not even I get that. How are you? No. Luke Oddy. You can find us both on Twitter. <laughs> Probably best to find me through George Alagaya, through all the uh, new members. Uh, Luke can be found by just finding his name, I guess. Um, I'm kind of rocking the, what, what would you describe my look today, Luke? As Scandi Techno. Scandi Techno. And yours? Mm, underdressed. Very good. Jaded. What are you doing in a, a room that's new? Is this to do with your new house? Or are you... A... Uh, no, I'm away with work, yeah. So I'm stuck in a hotel. And that is apologies for the iffy Wi-Fi. Okay. So I'm going off... You didn't a... fancy doing what those um, kind of uh, reporters do, like when Serial was Serial, the podcast? She mm. was in a hotel room and she got inside the wardrobe and put pillows around it while her room was soundproofed. I mean, it would have been an interesting treat for the YouTube watchers. Uh, just to the two guys that do that. Nice to see you again, lads. Uh, thanks for watching us on YouTube. <laughs> for those that want to do that, link's in the bio. Uh, a little bit more about the podcast itself then in case uh, we're starting a new season and any new listeners, I'm sure they're going to be dripping in um we are a film review podcast we review the first 50 minutes of, of free films uh the idea is once you start a film on a streaming site you just turn it off straight away because it's just so much choice we do the hard work for you we watch the f- first 50 minutes of free films and then we tell you which one you should be watching just in time for the weekend dan we do let's get on with it yes Let's get on with it because we actually had somebody uh, reviewers of late, and what did they say, Luke? Highbrow, no. yeah, highbrow criticism. You hear that here, folks? Somebody said that. Finally, t- finally, finally turned Martha around. I think. Okay, so we're doing a Disney Plus special then, uh, because Pixar released Turning Red, Night in My Alley yep. has gone into Disney yep. Plus, and then we needed one more, so we picked The Kingsman. Okay, so Dan, let's start with Pixar because we're Pixar fans. Anytime a film Big comes Pixar out fans. from that studio, <laughs> thank you. Anytime it comes out from that studio, uh, even though that hit rate at the moment is literally about one in three, one in four, we still got to give it a watch, get our eyeballs on it, and let's start with that. Then, what did you think? Turning so this is Pixar's first foray into kind of um, East Asian. Um, yeah, I said the word Oriental the other day, and someone told me off. You know, you know, you know, I'd say Oriental. No, you should never. Just, just far east. Beep yourself. Well, it's just, yeah, East Asian. Well, let's start there then, because whilst we're already in that sticky topic, let's focus on um, the aesthetic of Far East. So we've talked about this before in our criticism, not really criticism, just discussion. This sort of friction between are Pixar doing this because they're 
sort of the cynic would say they're mining these sort of cultural uh, cornerstones for like commercial yeah. gain, or are they showcasing such cultures to sort of bring the eyes to like sort of break down xenophobic walls and barriers and stuff? But that's oh. an interesting discussion. That's probably the safest way I can phrase it without sounding racist. Yeah. I think based on what we're seeing on screen, it's possibly the former. Mm-hmm. Because this isn't particularly Far Eastern. This doesn't isn't particularly evocative of any culture, and the culture that it is feels very set in a um, American kind of commercial capitalist way. You know, the K-pop is that they're all these girls fan art about is very much, you know, not really K-pop is it? It's, it's American no. K-pop. This yeah, it was a bit. Well, she's. She's very American. I assume at some point this film is sort of like it's a Kafka-esque story isn't it, about metamorphosis and so on. So I assume it's going yeah. to be an identity and this identity might also have something to do with her dual allegiances between China and America. So maybe that will come I up then. So. Give it benefit of the doubt. Um, let's go back to a bit more of the base of the film then. So it's set in 1999 and it seems like a sort of semi-autobiographical film tied to the director. Who's the director of this one, sorry? Domi Shi. Um, so... I don't know anything about her. Do you know? Um, I do. I know her back catalogue. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Big fan. Big no fan need, of her no work. need to say it here. We haven't got the time, but uh, no, he we does haven't. Know it, folks. Um, it does start appallingly the first few minutes. Um, oh, dreadful. Luckily, we're not called five because we probably would have not recommended this film if it had just been that long. Um, it's like a non-ironic walking start, like breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. And it's appalling. If you think Deadpool, very self-aware, but not in a good way it really kind of oh, arm's length away um and, and we're like we're immature and we can put up with a lot of stuff but this was far too immature for me the opening titles yeah. um what did you think of the pacing then especially too, well it was fast it was quick which is good we always like quick um you didn't have to watch it for long um <laughs> not at all no but is it that was voice always, it's made it yeah. season three yep always um but it was too fast didn't you think it was, yeah, it was. breakneck speed. Even, even I, great phrase. Even I wouldn't, um, I'd probably turn this back off 1.25. I'd be yeah. worried I'd put it on 1.5, actually. It was that quick. Um, yeah. So You'd the probably put it on, one, on 0.75. So the, the kid element, have you listened to this podcast on 0.5, by the way? Anyone that's doing it now, go and listen to this podcast on 0.5, we sound drunk. And not just the episode we're done was literally drunk. <laughs> drunk. The previous one. <laughs> Um, yes, just the previous. So the yeah, the kid element was bad, but then when it sort of developed into these exploring these teen subjects more, that's when it sort of grew, didn't it, and started to blossom. That was much more interesting. Well, you said this to me and thought it was going to be another film, and I found this with in the last ten years, you know, since Car, I think Pixar have really kind of devalued themselves, debased themselves, some some sort of word like that, in that they, because they've tied in with Disney so much that they're just mass produced. There seemed to, used to be a luster around Pixar and there's not that anymore. But you pointed it out to me that this is about menstruation and um, kind of burgeoning sexuality and discovering yourself. And that kind of shocked me because that's quite a grown up. And if that is the case, fair play to Pixar. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of what I think you were driving at there with your first comment about where is this set and how is it being set? Because 
Are, is Pixar genuinely trying to do something different here and talk about it in a very honest way? Or is it just paying lip service to it all? I'm, no, I'm not sure based on what I've seen on the first 15 minutes. I've, I kind of am, you know, I'm kind of in their favour. I, I definitely agree with your analogy that like they're sort of, they're an indie band that's sold out. That does feel to be the case, but they do have these real gems every now and again, like Inside Out, Soul, two films about existentialism and about inner feelings, mm. incredibly deep films. And this might not be like that, but it's about a, starting a discussion, I guess. I mean, they're using this stereotypical overbearing Chinese family maybe as a tool for that, because a big part of this first 50 minutes is... Uh, the meme, Mimi, the main character, sort of realizing her sexual urges and desires, and then being repressed, yeah. and that causes the the metamorphosis. And, and actually, I hadn't thought about this till you just said that, but she does seem the most immature of the th- four, the group of friends that were introduced. Everybody right. else does seem a bit more developed, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and has that edge, and she's still very much got her little bindi bag, and she plays her flute, and she's top of the class, this sort of preppy, prim little girl. So maybe this, maybe that's very deliberate, and maybe the opening actually is very deliberate in that respect. So maybe this film is actually good. <laughs> I think I think it might be quite good. Um, I think yeah, I think like I said, I think the the desire here is to make parents and children like first of all listen to your children there's quite a big moment in the open 15 minutes where if the parent just stopped and listened she would have helped the entire thing out and the story probably wouldn't have been told it wouldn't have caused the change but also talk about these awkward topics i mean it's very easy for us to say that we don't have children that we know of so we don't have to uh what and you don't bleed from your penis oh christ almighty um neither do i (laughs) anymore (laughs) Um, Just my I, anus. I enjoyed the sort of thematic uh, assassination of this boy band culture. That was quite yeah. funny. They really did yeah. take a big swipe about at them, saying these are real men, and it's like these preemed uh, metrosexual guys. Um, what other elements of this film did you enjoy then? I liked the animation around the food cooking. That was beautiful. Dan Very loves important. Dan loves a bit of food porn. Everybody, Ratatouille is his favorite porn. Pixar film. Absolutely, but this was almost better. This was almost. I think Marco Pierre White would have been <laughs> it was, stopping it, at the chops. Uh, yeah, a lot of flourishes on those little but scenes. You've said this before, and is there an element of the Lord of Diminishing Returns that you can't keep praising Pixar for and Disney for being good animators? They literally have all the money in the world. They should be pushing the boundaries on this. That said, I think it it does feel different. This sort of feels like, to go back to that indie band analogy, basically, where you have a a sort of bridge album that takes them from one genre to another genre. And it does, there is elements in it. It is faster paced. They're they're, they're breaking up scenes. They're doing doing this very much. What you see is what is uh, sort of bled between what the character is really seeing and then what their emotions are laid over it. And that was quite nice. That, this is it was relatively inventive. Ben man, everyone's been copying Pixar for years. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's yeah, yeah. been copying them. So it's quite hard to keep innovating. Um, what else did you like then? Or, or disliking that fact? Oh, actually, you made a quite a nice point about um, metamorphosis appearing more and more in animation kids' films. Yeah, I think Pixar, when it began had this, and I suppose it's all a slight transformation of sorts, but it was always that outside the box concept, Toy Story. So every toys and that, and when they're playing with them, they give them life. But everybody, every child has had that thought of what happens if your toys do come alive. So Mm -hmm. it's playing with that. 
Ratatouille, what's the worst um, animal you could imagine in a kitchen? A rat. Let's make him a brilliant chef. Wally, a robot. Let's make him the most human character possible. You know, all these, let's give the old man who's dying the best adventure of his life and actually let him realise that life was the adventure, not this kind of weariness and desire to go on the adventure in the first place. So it was always those moments of sort of thinking at the problem from the outside in. Mm-hmm. Whereas there became a point where, like, Brave, so literally it's Cars 2, I was looking, 2011, you came, you had the end of Toy Story, you know, which everybody said was that fitting final end to the kind of perfect trilogy. And you had Brave with this transformation into a bear. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we've seen that since in... Luca. There seems to be... Coco. Exactly. Yeah. Everything is turned... It's a physical transformation and what that represents. But I don't necessarily if that's clever because that's no. just repeating the same... It's not a subtle either. With a different... Feel... No, it's not. Yeah, it doesn't feel nuanced. Yeah, it, it doesn't uh, feel nuanced at all in that respect. It, it feels sort of not slightly below Pixar, but it feels a little easy. Yeah, I think you're right. And then you know, Inside Out was great because that was actually a really that was that was again. Let's talk about. We've all had that thought as well of what's going on in my brain. Is is it? And that kind of they gave life to that. But then we went into the run of sequels, and again, it just seems like laziness. It's it's and it's and I hate to say it, but it seems like Disney is kind of turning it into the cash cow because of the that golden age of Pixar from you know ninety ninety five when Toy Story came out to two thousand and ten, those fifteen years, and then just cashing in on that. So yeah, I, I just worry about um, about Pixar whether or not it's selling out or is it have we already missed the boat but this film having said that and being you know a degree of metamorphosis maybe this could be the 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 right story telling with that model where yeah. perhaps it previously hasn't been yeah definitely we'll get on to the we'll talk menstruation in a second Dan don't you worry but just to Good. follow on a little caveat to what you're saying I I completely agree in terms of now we've got Disney plus and you don't have to put some, as much money into the physical advertisement, it does feel as though they're going to be churning out more films a year, which could just dilute the, the talent you, pool, basically. Luke, do you think we could get The Good Dinosaur too? <laughs> Here's hoping. Uh, but to, quickly to talk about this film then, it does deal with similar, uh, similar uh, forms as previous Pixar films, but it's talking about very interesting topics, talking about 13-year-old girls-ish, yeah. sort of pre-teen, uh, going through developing changes and maturity and sexual urges, and that is that is brave. That is clever. Yeah. I don't know how much they're going to touch brave, on it. It's turning red. Yeah, they're using a red panda, red. They're using the red motif there again and again. So I don't think I don't think they're going to be too. And they're kind of like it. beavers, big hairy beavers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Right. Uh, anyway, all that said, I'm actually quite intrigued. I'd quite like to watch this. It wasn't funny enough, though. That has to be said. It wasn't very funny. There was one character that was quite funny, the little stout, angry girl. But God, that's the it... politest he's ever described, that character, let me tell you. Stout <laughs> and angry. Short and fat. <laughs> uh, you're interested in watching that, then? Yeah, I think so. I think they ask the right questions, and it's Pixar, isn't it? So. But stuff. we will wait and see at the end of the podcast. <laughs> Do you reckon anyone is, like, on tender hooks, finding out which one we will pick? It's usually no. always the first one. 
I think if you, if you ran back the data, it's never the third film. We have ever picked the third film. <laughs> so in full choice A, B or C, you always go A. You never go down the middle with us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Next film is Nightmare Alley. Oh, yeah. interesting. So cool. this got a little bit of Oscar buzz, but then sort yeah. of fell flat. You know what I mean? It's gone under the radar, which is quite surprising because it's, it's got that weird sort of saccharine Luke, tone Luke, all Luke, over it. And it's Guerra de Toro. Go on. Luke, 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 Luke. You're forgetting once again the most acclaimed awards that there are. It got Best Costume Design nomination at the BAFTAs. Dan constantly beats the drum. More? For the BAFTAs, whereas I, I re- ever since Barker Abdi won Best Supporting Actor, it has just gone <laughs> yeah. from my radar. Yeah, not a fan Barker of it at all. Abdi. So <laughs> I am the captain. Look at me. Is that I appropriate? Know if I, can say that. I don't know if I can say that anymore. <laughs> anymore? When could you? <laughs> Twenty years ago. Um. Okay. So this film, a bit odd. So it got nominated for Best Picture. And it has a little bit of clout to it in terms of the cast Barbara Cooper's in it, Goy Del Toro, as I said, writer, director. But uh, thingy, Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett, yeah, of course. But it feels like it's leaning a lot on this aesthetic of a creepy, dark circus, which, fair enough, Goy Del Toro is. This is something that's quite interesting about him is he feels like he should not be mainstream. For me, his films are very acquired, his style yeah. is acquired, and. He's, he uses these strange aesthetics all the time, and it, it's not for everyone. And I feel like people are talking themselves into the, him a little bit more, which means when he keeps putting out more and more films, they get pushed to the the front. And then if they don't do well, it's it's, it's classed as like a blow up, like a really bad film, like it's absolutely just smashed, not smashed, the other way. It, yeah, I I want to draw on something else you said there though about this aesthetic, because I felt it that. It just seemed, and maybe this is me being very cynical, but with it being on Disney Plus, that this was just waiting in the wings to be a Disney attraction. The Nightmare oh, Alley really? Circus vibes. Oh. It all felt, it didn't, it felt, and I know that maybe that's his style, maybe you can educate me here, but it. it all just felt a bit set. And I use that in inverted commas like, and we're walking onto the set of the burning house and now we're going to the set of and it was almost like a disney theme park and the spooky nightmare alley sort of ride at at, at disney yeah no i i struggled with this first 15 minutes particularly in terms of i just sat there and i was watching okay what are the themes and what is the point here and i know it's yeah. quite easy film criticism done, but it's it's really nice to be able to pin a film's thematic theme like where is it going what's it trying to say what can we base this on? What's interesting stuff is it talking about? And there was none of that at all. It was just Wilm Dafoe chewing the scenery. My insane. <laughs> and Guerrero de Toro, right? For me, he's made one of my favorite films. He made Pan's Labyrinth, right? Which is another film that really leans onto aesthetic. Like he wants to do this weird, dark fantasy, but he uses it and he collages it with Nazi Germany and in Spain, but as in Nazi occupied areas. And that's genius. It, it works, it's perfect, it's beautiful writing, and it fits its theme. It, it's sort of told like a kid's, a scary kid's tale. This yeah. just felt muddled to me, and I didn't really understand. I guess it, maybe it's going to be about retribution, because we originally see Bradley Cooper. And I'm, I'm a Bradley Cooper fan. I like him, he's a good actor. It's not his fault, he's very handsome. Do you know what I mean? Like, he tries to, he really does try to do serious roles, and he doesn't just like, like find the fact that he's like... You notice he's got a bit of a boss eye, though. 
<laughs> Has he? Yeah. Imagine. Imagine you saying something like that about me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I guess it's about retribution because his character is shown burning a corpse, so, or even the burning part in the in the in the house at the start. That just felt a bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, bit staged. Uh, yeah, it, it all well, felt the, a bit staged, right on the, stage, over the top. Yeah, yeah. The, the flames went in the very deliberate. It was all a bit. Yeah, mm, not sure. I'm not sure about this, I'm afraid. Again, very fast as well. Yeah, incredible. I mean, Absolutely. it has to be fast. At two minutes split. Two two hours twenty four minutes. It better be fast. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, Stan said split is split. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we met. We noticed a little bit of reticence in Bradley Cooper's acting. He was going for this Marlon Brando, like yeah. Ryan Gosling esque. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, monosyllabic performance. It felt yeah. a bit strange because it wasn't. It wasn't drawing me in. I needed him to to draw me in like with yeah. his character and he kind of line the fact that we were going to be hooked on we um, what is he ron perlman <laughs> yeah good old ron perlman uh is in this film which is uh i feel like he gets so much work because of the way his face is structured <laughs> <laughs> i hope he's an incredibly liberal you know left-leaning american but right he just doesn't look like it does he he's head, his head's got a gravita- gravitational pull like it is absolutely yeah. enormous um, he, um yeah have we got anything but Joe to say about this film? <laughs> it's good. potentially libelous, libelous then. Um, um, it was odd. I just got a bit odd, and I don't mean that in in a sort of sort of skewed, uh, you know, Gamma del Toro way, hmm. because I think it just simply didn't sit right. I think that's what I mean by odd. Mm-hmm. In that, it, yeah, like you said, muddled, and it's not quite got into itself or knows quite what it's going to be. Maybe it changes. You know, we see more of this nightmare alley because I don't think for something so fast it didn't really get um, even even the name Nightmare Alley, like Nightmare Alley. It feels triad. It doesn't feel organic. It just feels you don't need to call something. It feels like it should be one of those Jack Black movie. Just from two thousand and seven. Okay, yeah, kind of Nightmare Alley. That'd be an odd combo, right? Right, actor, com- uh, director, actor combo. Though uh, we didn't see Kate Blanchett at all. One we, thing I did, we kind of needed a feminine yeah. impact. I wanted some sensitivity, something just a bit different. Well, you didn't like fear the beast and chicken. Oh, um, let's talk about that scene because there wasn't too many set pieces, and that's the only thing we can really yeah. talk a little bit about. So you were abject horror, weren't you? Oh, it was stomach churning. It was horrible. But I don't mind that because it's divisive, but it didn't feel it should have been built up more if it's going to be like that. It was just sort of careless violence, hmm. which didn't really feel like it had a point. We got that he was being maltreated. We didn't need to see that. Unless... Yeah, it sets a tone, doesn't it? I guess. And it's quite yeah. affecting. I guess that was the motive That's the there. That's putting it. Affecting rather than effective. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's nice. That's that, that's nice. Then my point. Um, <laughs> uh, I did one thing I did quite like about this though was that it was quite gruesome display of the circus that I think too often. And I said this, didn't I? We actually don't. Oh, I certainly haven't seen too many circus um, films because, right. and I think that they're, they're so interesting. Like we've got the Greatest Showman, but that was just horrific, just awful, just sort of bright lights and saccharine big city mm. saccharine yeah whereas this felt a lot truer to what 
I imagine circuses were like quite horrible, quite sort of gritty you know, yeah. Colosseum, Colosseum for the masses, sort of replacing that. Mm-hmm. So I liked that element of it, but yeah, I'm not sure it was perhaps handled the best. Basically, Luke, I'm saying I want to play a ringmaster. Yeah, I can see you playing the ringmaster. Um, no, I can see why this is. I can see why. Bring this, on the lions! I can see why this is like figuratively fizzled out of all award yeah. season buzz, and I'm not too interested in watching any more of it. You know I mean, is it going to be a thriller? It feels like it's going to be psychological thriller, doesn't it? Yeah, but in a way that it's telling you it's going to be a thriller rather than being a thriller. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on to. Let's move, let's move on to episode. What? We're already there, are we? No, Luke. Before we do this, I've got to ask you. Can you can you just go and jump on that bed and just absolutely trash it? Is it a good springy bed? It's Feel horrible. like the opportunities. Exceptionally you know. firm. It's basically cinder bro- blocks covered with a blanket. Horrible. Cinder block. Yeah. She's Cheating. a baby. She's on. <laughs> okay, the final film we're doing tonight. Is we say the, the best till last. So this is the Kingsman, which is the third in the franchise. Number three. Yeah, yeah. so Kings, Kings is apostrophized. Is that a phrase? Probably not. Um, it probably has an apostrophe in it. So for me, this is a completely pointless, a completely pointless <laughs> exercise. It's a okay, right, guys, we've got to make another movie. I assume they've done quite well. I think they have done quite well, but what's the movie about what's the point here and we let's not do another sequel let's do a prequel okay fine and then i, I guess i didn't like the original we, we'll probably talk about the first film in a little bit because didn't mind it, i think yeah um i thought the reason it was successful though is because it was 18 plus that's why yes. and it was it sort of gratuitous yeah gratuitous and it was it sort of had this look of like uh wartime british sort of action like twattery you know what i mean like it was like a twat fest lots of action like it was um guy Ritchie read a history book and vomit mm-hmm. on the screen yeah. that's what it was and fair enough it has this weird british swarmness going on and people smacking each other and like cray twins sort of vibes and i get that fair enough but this film didn't have any of that it, it kept no. the twee british stiffness it wasn't an 18 it doesn't seem like it's gonna be an 18 because they probably well, there was quite a lot want to make money yeah, but they want to make money, yeah, but 18s. I mean, unless you're saying some horrific stuff, and we could, yeah, you're not going to get that up to 18. Uh, yeah, it just, it, it it felt, it, this felt boring as hell, and the screenplay was yeah. appalling, really bad. The first one, I think, captured something in that we were so used to spy films hmm. that were, the you know, like J, even Bourne. Yeah, did, did this ride of a... off, this, this was carried a bit by the wave of, Skyfall was it the first one? Yeah, I think so. Bond had that re- Bond came back in a big way with Skyfall, and this sort of rolled that wave a little bit, didn't it? Yeah, let me find this. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about the film. First of all, I don't think Ray finds in any point in his career from now until he dies. Yeah, twenty fourteen. Sorry, guys. Until 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 Ray finds now until he dies needs a six pack. He doesn't need a six pack in a film. Whatever's going on here, whatever we're doing, it doesn't need to happen. He's he's either been cast in the wrong film, which is exactly the case, or whilst he's in that film, we need to see him do acting, not just action sequences. Mind you, he didn't do too much of that, but I think that's coming. Um, what do you want to set up the plot a little bit then? Because we're in the set in the Boer War. Yeah, well, no. So basically, 
we've got the from the first two films we have this idea of this international spy agency that is outside of government laws and is based on these ideas of gentility and nobleness and chivalry the gentleman so where's that started well where else would it be started in the first world war so you know the um we're getting the premise to this international agency and ralph finds or ray finds his character is um chums with kitchener and so he's out in the Boer War, loses his wife just through sort of negligence, really. You knew she was going to die, though. It's so pitiful, that scene. There's no yeah. point for that scene other than she was going to get shot in the fanny. You just knew it was going to happen. She's going to die. And then apart from the kid... I've I got mean... a terrible wound. <laughs> Sorry to keep... wound. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> to keep flogging this dead horse, but kid acting... Like, this this felt to me like, do you know didn't happen of the year awards on Twitter? Which is like that thing happens every year yeah. and they have like kids saying stuff they'd never said. And the kid was like, oh, when will this blasted war be over? That sounds like <laughs> some made up shit that a parent would put on there. Yeah. Uh, kid acting is appalling. Um, it's quite interesting that they shone the light on concentration camps and then didn't touch on it at all ever again. Mentioned it for five seconds, but still. Yeah, it just... The Kingsman film, first time round, I don't know, it just had a sort of unashamed, unashamedness of like, this is what I am. I'm not trying to be clever. It even had Samuel L. Jackson doing that stupid voice. And then everything else from that feels like it's trying to imitate that. And so by very nature is is not as honest. Like the second one, we had Elton John being the big celebrity star and um, what was uh, uh, Julianne Moore as this villain and it was all just a bit like who are we going to get in next uh-huh. do you know what i mean in the soapbox who's the guest star today uh this time it's elton john and you know and this one is ray fines and uh, it Jim was Martin. someone else oh right Jim Rodson. yeah i don't know it just i put what is the motive behind this film because mm-hmm. it's it's again that idea of a cash cow but it's also just uninspired crass filmmaking the villain is this sort of huge you know oh, rasputin well it's well it's not though is it it's benedict uh, not benedict Cumberbatch. did you say it's david tennant is it actually no oh. i said i said it was marcus bridgestock originally <laughs> and then it said the yeah. scottish guy's david tennant which i don't think it is i'm almost certain it's not uh okay. interesting that you say that though because that's a point i wrote Imagine down if it was is this is taking itself far too seriously like the other films have this tongue-in-cheek silliness which is kind yeah. of, I think that's quite, even though I don't like them, I can admire the fact that they're spending a hundred million pound budget and they're just going, yeah, let's make some mental that only we might like. That's actually quite brave, but this is taking itself far too seriously. And they're putting these emphasis on, on the lines and what the characters are saying. And they have far too much faith in the characters acting to carry this stuff through. Like some of these lines, which where I find he's saying, I'm surprised he didn't pause and say to the director, are we really doing this line? There's literally a scene where a nanny who's raised his son is talking to him about maybe he should allow his son to like leave the nest a bit more and don't be yeah. so overbearing. And he went, well, I guess sometimes I need a nanny too. And it's just like, <laughs> what the, what is that? That's not from yeah. a writer. That's from a producer. That is just, there's no craftsmanship to this script at all. And I just, it just is all, I actually put, where is the represent, representation here? Because we don't need to see if if the first film set in london in whatever nowadays didn't have any diverse cast the lead was taron egerton 
Right. John Jeremy Strong was, uh, and uh, what's his face? Mark Strong. Uh, Mark Strong. Not Jeremy. Mark we do that every episode. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Strong. Uh, Colin Firth. Oh, yeah, it was Colin uh, Firth. I still Ma- remember who it was. Michael Caine. You know, okay, Samuel L. Jackson is the villain. I suppose there's a diversity, but his hench. Um, Samuel L. Jackson. That is my big thing with the first one. I know we went to review in the third one here, but Samuel Jackson had no direction from anyone there. He showed up wearing what he wanted to do. He did the accent that he fancied doing. And I, yeah. I honestly don't think he even listened to them say action. He was just talking yeah. for most of the <laughs> parts in that film. Oh, I couldn't stand his performance. It just really felt to me. But this film is just even more down that rabbit hole of let's set it oh Britain oh and he's like I see you you know it's Ralph Fiennes going to Kitchener oh I see you're being a bit barbaric old chap like we're in concentration camp it's fucking war crime literally Hitler got the idea from it like do you know what I mean it's it's if you're gonna be gritty and edgy and use these things then be edgy and gritty and real don't just do it and then swear and put a fuck in there because it's not that's not good enough Mm-hmm. You, you've got to hold films to a higher account and yeah and just you know the butler is black so although it's it, no but do you know what i mean that's what i'm saying instead of you to say that sorry you just threw me off <laughs> but the butler's black okay great so okay but he's in a broad of servitude the son is talking to him like an absolute fucking moron like just incredibly yeah. rude just and also the bland next... tory quips all the time yeah. boring jokes and then the next scene is him fighting and he's like, you know, oh, how are you going to fight with one arm? And he's like, I've already killed you five times. And there are all these marks on his back because obviously he's, you know, from South Africa and you see all the stud marks, you know, the kind of tribal whatever lines of. Um, so it's, you know, oh, he's going to teach him these ways. I mean, it's just a bit like, oh, we've seen this before. Like, can't you tell something different? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I don't I don't. Yeah, it shouldn't it's, be made. It shouldn't. It's, it's leaning on these cliches for tension. And sometimes, admittedly, they're slightly cool cliches. And it makes it a little bit more engrossing. But you're not going to be watching. And you said this is also incredibly long as well, right? Over two hours. No, that was... Um, but this is this is also over two this hours. This was DNF. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, Paul. Also, another another shout-out to opening titles... Gotta hate them. Yeah. Just another reminder that you're watching a franchise. Brilliant. Lovely stuff. Let you know that you're an it's... ant signing up for the same old shite to watch two hours and spend money in a cinema. Well done, you guys. Two hours, ten. Two hours, ten. Two hours, ten. It's too long. That's too long. Yeah. Um, okay, um, also, finally, something else I wanted to say. Going back to the... Whoever Stanley played. Tucci's in this film. Is he? Yeah. Goodness me. I bet he blends into the background. I bet he doesn't go over the top at all in every single fucking scene he's in. Um, it looks like know. he's sucking on a wasp. Uh, so, <laughs> also, I wanted to say is not all actors have comedic range. Like you yes. can just hire someone because you think they they look nice or whatever. But I think mm-hmm. that's why the son's been hired over. Whoever's playing right finds his son. Just whatever. You know what I mean? He looks like a British tall. Harris British. Dickinson. Harrison, well, there you go. The unknown talent, that's Harris Dickinson. Doesn't mean he's got comedic range. You probably should try and sift that out in the audition if you're trying to make him put in so many jokes. Just a heads up to casting directors everywhere. Yeah. Uh, Dan, it's never the third film that wins. <laughs> it's never. It never is. Uh, Matthew Vaughan, unfortunately, mate, we're not going to be choosing film. Yeah, that's correct. Um, Danae. <laughs> Uh, okay, Dan, <laughs> let's talk. Well, we're watching. Do you want to watch Tony Red or do you want to watch um, what's the second yeah. one? 
Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, it's Nightmare Alley. Yeah. Nightmare Alley. Turning Red. Although be... I put Right Mare and it looks like Right Move, which I'd watch. If Guillermo de Toro did Right Move Alley, I'd watch that. That's nice. It's up your street. There you go. Hey, boom, boom. Thank you. Right, Dan, what's what you talk BAFTAs then? Luke, to... crane your neck. <laughs> you crane my neck. With a good yeah. joke. Um, oh, satire. <laughs> Dan, satire word. Here he is. Writing's on the wall. No one's safe. Uh, so, Dan, you watched, for the for the podcast, and well done for you taking this bullet, you watched the BAFTAs the other night. I did. Why don't you have a quick couple of minutes on the BAFTAs. Who won? What do you think of Rebel Wilson? Let's go. Ooh. What did I think of Rebel Wilson? Got better as it got on. Um, Why? Because you got closer to good. the finish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, just very stilted and, and unnatural, and not a natural mm-hmm. role for her at all. She didn't. Look, she didn't like. She, she didn't like. She was in the right skin. <laughs> <laughs> she has lost a lot of weight. Hanging off her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how many how many staples are in her back? <laughs> Carry that fat. Uh horrible. Being me, no need. <laughs> really anyway. Mean me. Um yeah, she wasn't a good fit at all. Um Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch deservedly um Didn't win the Oscar. <laughs> didn't win the Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Probably should have been it wasn't an after. Oh Will Smith. Will Smith. Will Smith. Smith. He wasn't even there. Yeah, because he wasn't. Oh, so he went to the critic when he went to the Critics' Choice. Also, did you see Jane Campion's speech at the Critics' Choice Award? Jane Campion. Oh, the what the, no, the one on the Alec, uh, the one on the when she was talking about the comments made by uh, Thingy. She talked like this. <laughs> <and> met... <laughs> Hi everyone. In town, She's Kiwi. You've got to throw a bit of twang in there. Did Brett? Did <laughs> and Serena to the Valum sisters. You're so amazing. She made this weird comment. Have you seen the clip? Uh, she no. Made this weird comment where she was like, "Oh, uh, um, Serena, you know you're amazing. Uh, you know William sisters, you're amazing, but you don't have the men like I do." And it just didn't land. It was sort of weirdly like, "Yeah, but what?" It just I don't know. It was a weird speech. Yeah, there was a. Way. It was not memorable. There's a American actor. I'm blanking on his name now. Oh God, you know him. He's been in, in westerns and stuff. And he was in. He was a Tarantino film. They were no, no, no. Um, and he made a comment basically about the film. I think criticizing its like authenticity in terms of western genre. And she kind of just right. went after him. And it's like people are allowed to dislike your films. It, it did feel very Maybe. strange. And she seems like they're the front runner for the Oscars, right? Yeah, I mean. You Whatever. chucked it. You put in your Whatever. top ten. It wasn't really in mine. Uh, let's go back to the BAFTAs, though. Other people that won. Yeah. Um. The, um, the, the lady that won supporting actress. She's pretty much got that sewn up, hasn't she, for the Oscars as well? Oh, but actress was a bit yeah, different, wasn't it? Story. Joanna Scanlon for um, After Love. A couple of things. Um. Coda. Coda and After Love both piqued on my interest, which I hadn't really given much time of day for. So I you were deaf to it, weren't you, Dan? I was deaf to all all the tacks. Um. Best speech went to the director. Of drive my car. Yeah, remember his name. Give him some respect, Dan. His Japanese name. Go on. Give it. His... No, I think you've. Se- I haven't seen the film, but you have. Remind me. I, I was going to watch. I'd planned to buy my ticket and everything. And as yeah. I was buying my ticket, I found out it was three hours. And I've tweeted about this. I've. I, I will not have be sit- watching a free. <laughs> you're not. You're not up to date on that. 
Uh, apparently Dominic Bird isn't responding. Uh, calling you out, sunshine. <laughs> Going after him. <laughs> we want to get beer. Let's get the record straight here. Also, by the way, this podcast should have finished 10 minutes ago. Anyway, <laughs> Dominic Burgess agreed to come on the podcast. Agreed. <laughs> he was going to be our first guest. We're going to start season three with him, right? Now, admit what are you it, doing? I was what a bit slow. What are you doing? I was a bit slow to reply. Fine. But I replied very polite, sort of witty, nice, very, like, very... Um, Modest. Yeah, grateful as well. <laughs> Modest. <laughs> grateful and everything. And hasn't he's left me on red. He's left me on red, Dan. And I'm fuming. And I'm red. I'm going red. Um, Turning red, which is the film we'll be watching next week for next week. Dan Segway King Wade. Uh, Dan, thank you for joining us. We'll be back next no, week. Let's thank the audience, Luke, for listening and watching. Thank you very much. Uh, next week might be slightly skewed because I'm off to Latvia. Yeah. So, fingers I'm crossed. Off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everyone. Thank you very much. See you next bye time. Bye bye. Bye bye. Oh, well, you'll grow up sometime. But at 15, 15, 15. Fifteen. 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 Fifteen.